When a box of robot parts shows up on Ken's doorstep, he's overjoyed at the prospect of putting the pieces together with his friend Dan. But when the robot finishes assembling itself, then eats everything in sight, the boys realize they have a big problem. Can Ken and his group of engineered friends come up with a plan to save the world? Find out when author Jarrett Lerner talks about his STEM adventure books. Meet the author Jarrett Lerner's coming up next. The following program is a production of the Fairfax Network, Fairfax County Public Schools. Welcome to Meet the Author. I'm your host, Emily Godfrey. I'm here in the MTA studio, and joining me virtually today is award-winning author Jarrett Lerner, whose books are not only entertaining, but celebrate the world of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Welcome, Jarrett. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love that intro. That was so great. I know I can't I can't wait to talk about it more with you, but we also have joining us via Zoom some students from Sleepy Hollow Elementary School. Hello, dolphins. Hello. Some of Jared's book titles are Give This Book a Title and Give This Book a Cover, The Giger Robot, The Hunger Heroes, and the Engineers Book Series. His latest engineered book is called The Engineered Strike Back. So Jarrett, as a librarian, I appreciate how engaging your books are for young people, for old people, or maybe I should just say everyone who's young at heart. Thank you so much for creating these. Thank you, that's, that's the best compliment I, I can imagine. <laughs> well, our students at Sleepy Hollow have read your books and are ready to ask you some questions. So here we go. Who has the first question for Jarrett Lerner? Here comes Lucy. Hi, sweetheart. What is your name and what's your question? Uh, I'm Lucy and my question is, what inspired you to be an author and illustrator? Thanks for the question, Lucy. Um, I uh, was initially inspired uh, when I was a kid to start writing and creating my own stories uh, by books that I was reading, by other people's books. All these books on the shelves you see behind me aren't my books, they're other people's books. I am first and foremost, a huge, huge reader. I think books are basically the closest thing we have as people to magic. And I'm sure if any of you are readers, you've experienced this, but a good book, a really good story that's well told, that really grips you and gets its hooks in you, it transports you to a different time, a different place, a different world, a different reality. And books can transform you for the time you're reading them. You get to think other people's thoughts and feel their feelings and get to know what it's like to be someone you otherwise might never get to meet. To me, that's magical. To move your eyes across ink on a page and be transported and transformed, it's incredible. And I got addicted to that when I was a kid. And after a while, I got this urge to sort of 
try to create some of that magic myself by by telling stories and working on them and trying to get them so good that people couldn't help but but read them and and couldn't put them down. Um, and reading still inspires me to this day. But another huge inspiration for me is all of you, you guys, kids just like you, um, getting to meet kids and learn from them, hear from them, find out what they think is funny and interesting and exciting. Um, is a huge inspiration. You, whether you realize it or not, are sort of the bosses of children's literature. All of us adults are trying to make you fall in love with books and our reading. So getting a chance to meet with you and talk with you like this, it's like FaceTime with my boss. It's, it's like uh, incredibly valuable and inspiring and exciting. I couldn't agree with you more. That sounds amazing. Yes, books are addictive and awesome, and I totally believe <laughs> that kids are our bosses working with books. That's amazing. All right, Sleepy Hollow, who has the next question? Hi, what's your name and what's your question? Uh, hi, my name is Dax. My question is, how did you come up with the idea of creating a series about kids called the Engineers? So uh, thanks for that question, Dax. Um, so I wanted to write a story about kids who were um, not just nerdy, but sort of like proudly nerdy. I, I define nerds as people who are passionate about something and proud of their passion. And I think nerds are the best people in the world. They're my favorite people to be around and talk to. I don't care what you're nerdy about, but being around someone who is passionate and proud of that passion and wants to share it with you, that's so exciting and, and enlivening and fun. So I really wanted to write a book about um, people who were proud of their interests and their nerdiness. And um, also this gave me a way to really um, talk about how kids are um, capable of doing everything, whether it's building some robots, saving the world, uh, you know, protecting the planet, helping each other, um, cheering each other up, all that stuff, big and small um, and important. And so um, the Engineered series sort of gave me a way to, to accomplish both of those things and, and, and hopefully some other things too besides. Awesome. So Sleepy Hollow, who has the next question? Hi, what is your name and what's your question? My name's Maria, and my question is, what inspired you to create the gadgets in your Engineered series, and do they really work? Oh. That's a great question, Maria. Um, so one of my favorite things about writing sort of sci-fi fantasy, um, you know, my books are often put in the humor section or sci-fi fantasy section. Um, it's like light sci-fi, light, light fantasy. Um, is that there's no real rules. There's no real limits. So um, I don't, I can't imagine the gadgets in my book work. They might, you know, um, some of them definitely do like making catapults out of chopsticks and rubber bands. That's something that I actually did as a kid. And that, that is possible. Some of the other more far-fetched things, I, I doubt they're possible, but maybe someday, um, but I love just getting to play around in a world of fiction in which I can create things that don't exist yet, but that um, are believable enough and exciting enough for a kid to say, you know, maybe, why not? 
Um, when I wrote the Engineers books, uh, I had the robot, as, as it said in the beginning in the intro, the robot finishes building itself, which to me was a really cool and also kind of creepy, possibly scary detail to include. But as far as I knew, it wasn't possible. But a couple years after I wrote this book, I got an email from a kid and he sent me a link to an article about the first robot who had ever finished building itself and then started building replicas of itself, which is kind of scary, but also kind of cool. But this thing that I thought I had made up came true. So um, as far as I know, the far-fetched gadgets in my books do not work, but you know, never say never. Oh, wow. That is, that's a pretty amazing, amazing feeling, I bet. <laughs> to have the thing yeah, that you imagined. Yeah, it was wild. Through, I was that's... very grateful the kids sent along this article. It was pretty wild. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we have one more question right now from Sleepy Hollow. Hi, what's your name and what is your question? Hi, my name is Kelsey. And what's your hey, question? Kelsey. What part of writing the Engineer series was difficult and what part wasn't? So, uh... I think the the least difficult part for me is just the first draft, just getting to write and play around and create. I sort of liken it to running around on a huge playground with no rules and anything goes. Um, the hard part gets in taking that first draft, which is really, really, really messy and all over the place, and sort of cleaning it up and making it pretty, polishing it, moving things around so that all of these ideas in my head aren't just in my head, but are um, sort of uh, well communicated to everyone else, to readers. So that's the revision process. And that's what the real work of writing, that's probably 95% of writing is taking that messy first draft and revising it and revising it and revising it. So that is definitely where the challenging part comes in, how to communicate your story, your ideas to the rest of the world. Um, particularly in Engineers, I gave this book, the manuscript to my editor, and it was about 40,000 words. And she had some comments here or there, some small things she wanted me to switch up. And then she said, also, I think we need to get rid of about 12 or 13,000 words. So I had to figure out how to get rid of stuff and make it as sleek and slim as it is today but it was about uh, it was about uh, a hundred. It was about not twice as long, but about half an additional book, three hundred pages instead of two hundred pages. So that was the the specifically probably hardest part of the revision process. I'm so glad you shared that because I think that that's like something that is really hard for our students, right? It's hard for everyone to edit and to revise and yeah. to to chip away at the ideas that they've had, but it's that's where that's where the good work comes that's the in. The real work. Yeah. That's yeah. the real work of it. Yeah. So those were great questions, Sleepy Hollow. We'll come back to you more a bit later in the show. But right now I'd like to ask if you have a question for Jarrett Lerner, join our conversation, give us a call um, if you have any questions for him. So let's go to an email question. This question is from Glasgow Middle School and it says your books include robots that are funny and destructive, but were also created to solve a global issue. How do you envision your books inspiring readers to build robotic solutions? That's a big question. Wow. <laughs> that is such a thoughtful 
wonderful question. Thank you so much. Um, so like I touched on earlier, I wanted to write these books about kids who were capable of doing so much. And I wanted to show them taking on problems that were both big and small and solving them with their creativity and ingenuity and with a lot of teamwork. So um, I love that you sort of picked that out from the books because that was sort of a message that I wanted to um, get across. And uh, I hope that even kids who aren't into robotics and aren't making robots will um, use their creativity to solve problems big and small that they see around them. I meet kids all the time who are already doing that. Um, so I, I hope it stretches beyond robotics, but um, I hope that these kids serve as sort of um, not role models, but examples, just examples, additional examples out in the world of kids who maybe at first glance, you might say they can't do this. They can't save the world. They can't make a dent in problems relating to the entire globe, but um, hopefully by by making this story in a in a outlandish but believable way um you you next time you confront a problem you say maybe there's something that i can do maybe i can get my friends we can all pitch in and use what we're best at to solve this problem or to begin to solve this problem whether it's with robots or not but um, i'm really glad you picked up on that thread and theme in the story um, and I hope that a lot of other kids do and that that part resonates with them, especially. Well, in fun and creative ways, Jarrett Learner's books can spark interest in the areas of science, technology, engineering, and math. Let's take a look. Taking a page from a variety of Jarrett Learner's books, students at Sleepy Hollow Elementary School put on their thinking caps to devise some nerdiness of their own. We made trash inside because he eats trash, like in the book. So we decided to do it like realistic. My favorite part of the book was when Giger went to school and made his first friend. Inspiration and ingenuity is everywhere. Look at this robot full of Cheez-Its? For engineers and uh, we like made a robot. It's not really Greg. We call it Mummy Cheez-It Monster. And it was originally a vending machine and then you could see all like the food inside and everything. Take a look at this flashlight multiscope. It connects with the aliens and goes in a particular order to signal them. The order is orange, purple, blue, green, purple, orange. My favorite part of Revenge of the Engineers is when they had the snowball fight with the uh, robot. Check out this catapult that fires water balloons at food-guzzling robots. This is our catapult. It was built by Dan and Kennedy in the first book. It fires water balloons at the robots and then the robots explode. Hmm, this mushy brown banana must have something to do with the books. This banana was Giger and Fudge's, one of their favorite foods. Who can ignore a UFO? Wait, a UFO? My favorite part was when the aliens came down to Earth and they thought Kitty the dog was smarter than the people. This contraption is called the 64X Multiscope. And it was used by a girl named Michaela 
in the book um, Revenge on the Engine Nerds. Uh, Michaela is a girl that's obsessed with aliens, and she thinks that with this thing, you can actually um, spot them on the sky. Then there is a laser scope. A telescope redesigned to destroy the robot. It fires a laser from the front. It is custom designed. It can cut literally pretty much almost any metal. Note to Jarrett Lerner, this is not from your book, but you might want to steal this idea for the next one. Choosing the right book is important to all readers, and for these students, creating the perfect project to share makes room for imagination, creativity, and just plain old nerdy fun. You're So Jarrett, what did you think? It must be awesome to see how your work can inspire young people. That was unbelievable. I, ca I cannot believe, that was just, I could watch that all day. The, the creativity and seeing those things that were in my head come to life um, in, in reality is unbelievable. And I, I always talk about how I want my books and I try to craft my books to be launch pads for kids' own creativity. So hopefully while reading them, you're inspired to put the book down, even if you're not done yet, and go do something yourself, whether it's build a gadget or write your own book or draw your own pictures. So to see that in action is just um, unbelievable. That, that was incredible. So much talent and creativity. I was really blown away by those, by those projects as well. So we're going to go back to Sleepy Hollow Elementary School now to take a few more questions from our students. So students, who has the next question for Jarrett Lerner? Hi, what's your name? Henry. Hi, Henry, what's your question? Are any of the characters like Ken, Dan, and Michaela based on anyone you know in real life? That's a great question, Henry. Um, and uh, usually how I answer questions about what's real and what's not is to talk about a little bit about how fiction we often compare it to nonfiction and say one is real and one is fake, one is made up. But fiction is really a little more complicated than that. I think fiction exists on a sort of spectrum. And that means, you know, an imaginary line where there's one thing and something that's different on the other end. And in fiction, it's reality, experiences that you have, and your own imagination. So some authors use a lot of reality and then add a little imagination into their stories. And some authors use a little bit of reality and a whole lot of imagination. And I tend to be the latter. I tend to take little things that happened to me in my real life. For instance, in Engine Nerds, I one day got a package on my doorstep from someone mysterious. They hadn't written their name on it. It didn't say where it was from. And I took that little moment and thought about if it could start a story and it turned into engineers. And obviously I didn't get a farting robot on my doorstep. It was something else. So that's where the imagination comes in. But my characters just like that are usually inspired by a little bit by someone I know in real life or, or I've learned about. And then typically through the revision and writing process, I add in a whole lot of imagination. So some of my characters might be based on a part of a friend of mine or a family member of mine, but usually so much imagination is dumped on top of that little kernel that even they can't recognize themselves. All right, who has the next question from Sleepy Hollow? 
Hello. What is your name and what's your question? Uh, my name's Nicole and um, my question is, why does Ken's dog like stinky things and why is his name Kitty? So uh, thanks for asking about Kitty, Nicole. Kitty is probably my favorite uh, engineer's character to write about. Maybe my favorite character ever. He is an incredibly uh, silly dog whose wants and desires don't really make any sense. Like you said, he's very into stinky things. Um, but Kitty was modeled after a dog I had um, a while back. And uh, I wanted to make Kitty um, uh, a source of a lot of humor and also a source of a weird sort of wisdom. Um, if you've read to the end of the series, you know that Kitty plays an important role in, um, in the last book in the series. Um, so he, Kitty is sort of like a love letter to this dog that I had, who I often thought was being really kind of stupid, but was usually uh, being pretty smart and had a lot of wisdom to share when I sort of got out of my own head and, and, and paid attention to, to him and what he was doing. But um, some of the situations that Kitty gets in in the book, even the most outlandish ones were, were inspired by a lot of real life events. So the last question we got from Henry about using real life, Kitty is probably one area where I did use a lot of real life, except I don't think Kitty has ever had a conversation with aliens. Um, but the rest of the stuff is at least partially true. I like that. You don't think they had a conversation with aliens, but I, we're not quite sure. <laughs> there was a few times where the dog got loose and I didn't see him for a while. Who knows? <laughs> All right. Back to Sleepy Hollow. Hi, what's your name and what is your question? Hello, my name is Zelaski and my question is, why is Michaela so interested in aliens? Um, so I wanted to make Michaela's character interested in aliens to sort of, you know, get that part of the story out. Um, but I think it's because I uh, am interested in outer space and the world. And also I wanted to write a book um, and I wanted that second book in the series to really sort of uh, get my readers to think more broadly and to sort of have their minds stretch out to the, to the edges of space. Um, I say something in uh, that book about um, not knowing what you don't know. And I think that's a really exciting idea. And, and I, I get this feeling when I think about outer space and how big it is and how little we are and how little we know. And I think it can be a really valuable thing um, for all people, adults especially, maybe, maybe adults most importantly, to step back from our own problems, our own lives, our own worries and our own wishes and desires and needs. And sometimes just think about the bigness surrounding us and just sort of take in the wonder and awe of the whole universe. So I wanted to sort of introduce kids to that concept and sort of um, have them think about that and also have them wonder about outer space um, and, and all the stuff that's out there and that might be out there. It sort of goes along with, um, I think, having you uh, trying to encourage kids to problem solve and to be creative and to tackle problems that seem really big, um, just encouraging them 
to think big and c confront bigger things than I think a lot of adults think that they can handle. But I, I know that you can all handle. Well, back to Sleepy Hollow. We have one more question right now. Hi, what's your name and what is your question? My name is Julia and my question is, why does Kennedy's grandpa not speak real words? So that was just sort of uh, a random, almost random uh, thing that I just sort of thought was interesting and curious and that I played around with. But the more that I thought about it and used it, I kind of loved this idea of um, having a relationship where um, two people who are close enough can sort of communicate without language. They can communicate in uh, more subtle and still very meaningful and profound ways. Um, you have probably experienced this with maybe a best friend or a sibling or a parent. You can just sort of, you, you know what each other are doing and, and what you're meaning and what you're saying and what you want and what you need without even talking. And sometimes spending time with someone without talking can be a wonderful and enriching thing. And I just wanted to show how special and unique and important that relationship was between Ken and his grandfather. Um, and also a little later in the book, you see some of that wordless communication between friends. And I just wanted to introduce the idea of their closeness and the specialness of that relationship. Um, these books are about uh, farting robots, of course, and silliness, but I also hope that they are a lot about friendship and, and bonds and, and responsibility and um, taking care of each other. So that was sort of one way that I sort of began to broach those themes. All right, Sleepy Hollow, we are gonna stick with you and ask and let you guys ask your final questions. So who has the next question for uh, Jarrett Lerner? All right, what is your name and what is your question? My name is Tiffany. If Giger is a robot, shouldn't he know a seat and what not seat? Why is he programmed to eat rotten food? So Giger is, is a robot from a different series of books and I wanted Giger to solve a different sort of problem and, and to do it better than the robots in, in Engineers. Giger was sort of like a twist on the, on the robot characters in Engineers. So Giger solves the problem of food waste. We waste a lot of food in the world and I was sort of trying to imagine um, what could be done with that food waste to, to, to be productive. Um, and I have Giger turn it into electricity. I don't know if that's possible, but maybe someday it will be possible. But I also needed Giger to um, be confused and, and, and have some conflict and problems and trouble. So I made him a little bit confused about what he was supposed to eat. Um, and the Giger series, at least in the first few books, is all about him going to school for the first time and figuring out how to behave in school and what to do in school. So his uh, difficulty deciphering what he should and shouldn't eat was sort of a great way to sort of talk about um, a character figuring out how they're supposed to behave in school and with other kids and, and with teachers. Um, and also, I just thought it was really funny to have a robot eating his backpack and ukuleles in addition to all sorts of uh, rotten and expired and spoiled food. I totally agree. 
<laughs> That's very <laughs> hilarious. All right, we have one last question from Sleepy Hollow. Hello, what is your name and what is your question? My name is Doma, and have you ever thought about writing a book where Giger babysits? Oh, that is a great. Uh, I have not, but you know what? I've got a whole bunch more Geeker books uh, lined up under contract, and I haven't written all of them yet. And um, to talk about taking on responsibility, that would be a pretty huge responsibility for Geeger. Um, that's a great idea for a story. And um, if I ever do that, I'm going to have to contact you and and thank you in the acknowledgments. But also what I would say is I always tell kids, if you have an idea for a character, even someone else's, to do something in a story, and you're compelled by that idea, you should totally write it or draw it or make it yourself or act it out or script it or whatever, whatever your chosen medium is. Um, a lot of great, great creators got their start making so-called fan fiction. So um, sometimes kids will tell me, you should have had the engineers do this or that or this. And I always tell them, you should write that story. It's one of the best ways to learn is sort of to, to write a story um, and, and use some other people's uh, worlds and play around in them. But babysitting Giger is a fantastic idea. Thank you. Well, again, those were great questions. Thank you, Sleepy Hollow, for joining us today. You guys did great. You. Thank you. Amazing questions. And Jared, do you have any advice for aspiring writers and illustrators? You've given us so much already, but just maybe briefly some last thoughts. Yeah, well, what I just said about uh, playing around in a favorite world that you know really well, writing fan fiction or drawing fan comics is an excellent way to um, learn about uh, story and just practice your storytelling craft. Um, I encourage kids all the time also to copy drawings and illustrations they love. I learned everything I know about drawing, not from going to school. I didn't go to art school, but by copying the artists I love and thinking about every little line they said made and, and, and trying to figure out why they drew things this way or that way and how they did this or that. So um, that can be a great way to learn. And then also find some other people who you trust and who have similar um, sort of interests as you and share your work and listen to the feedback you get from them. That's one of the most valuable skills and the earlier you develop that and start practicing that, the better. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for chatting with us about your humorous and inspiring books. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. I am still just blown away by the kids' creativity and the thoughtfulness of those questions. Amazing job, Sleepy Hollow. I so appreciate you, you checking out my books and doing so much with them. Yeah, they were really awesome. If you would like to learn more about Jared Lerner, visit his website. To learn more about our upcoming programs, visit the Fairfax Network. For the Fairfax Network, I'm Emily Godfrey. Keep reading, keep writing, and keep dreaming. Thanks for watching.